Hello, this is Matt Hale with Resonance 104.4 FM, our monthly's talk show. And just before we go any further, I'm going to do two things. One is I'm going to read out this lovely bit of writing by Resonance, which is to encourage you to assist them. It says, This Valentine's Day, if you love Resonance, help us stay on air, free of commercials, by making a donation online. Go to resonancefm.com and give via PayPal. Your donation counts, and I have to say, it does. And the other place you can spend money, which we'd also really like you to do, is monthly, because we want you to subscribe, and you get a 30% discount on a subscription if you email subs at artmonthly.co.uk and just write Resonance Offer on it and 30% discount please and the idea of that is that you will read the features which I'm now going to discuss with two of our writers which is in the current issue of Art Monthly that issue is February 353 issue um, that's February 2012 sorry and the two people I'm joined with today are Paul O'Kane artist, writer and lecturer based in London hello Paul Hi. and Omar Khalif writer and curator Hello, Omar. Hi. I think Omar's first time this time with us, mm-hmm. and Paul's second, I believe. That's right. Yes. So it's welcome back, Paul, and hello, Omar. Now, um, I'll stop waffling on fairly soon. What we're going to do is try and talk about these two features they've written together, rather than talk about one and then move on to the other one. We're going to try and talk about them both. Now, there is a kind of link across them. Um, Omar's feature was called Arabic Agendas in Art Monthly, um, and it says in the uh, strap header... Omar Khalif on Western appropriation of art from the Arab world, which I hope was what Omar wanted. And Paul's, well, it's, it's quite a sensitive, getting it right is quite important, isn't it? Mm. In particularly in that kind of uh, issue, I believe. And Paul is redefining outsider art, and his feature was called Out of This World. So that's in the February issue, 2012, Art Monthly. Now, context, to me, seems to be a connection. Um, but Perhaps, interestingly, we might try something. Paul, would you be kind and try and describe how you understood Omar's feature and what, what you thought it was about? And then, Omar, you do the same for Paul's. Mm-hmm. See how we go. OK. I, um, I, yeah, I found that Omar's uh, piece very kind of um, fascinating and uh, current. And, uh, but what I, th- what, I, what I understood it to be doing was um, updating, really, um, um, a quite uh, kind of classic um, um, post-colonial complaint, in a way, um, about the kind of institutionalization or othering of uh, non-Western um, artists, and um, that Omar was was picking on the uh, the situation. Um, Today, in the con- in the kind of renewed context, if you like, of um, of uh, the Arab Spring, etc., the fact that these uh, the kind of institutionalization and uh, othering of uh, Middle Eastern artists um, being, in a way, kind of smothered by uh, Western perspectives and uh, or commercial commercialization, yeah. uh, and not really having a proper chance to fully. Um, grow in a truly speculative, youthful way in this wonderful moment, in a way, moment of opportunity. Oh, oh, well, how does that sound to you? No, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's correct mostly, yeah. I mean, this idea of not having the, the organic chance to grow um, at this particular moment, though, is, is what's particularly key, is, is because everyone's turning the question to 
um, artists in the Arab world in light of a very political condition, thinking that they have a responsibility or a right to um, comment on this or reflect on this before and before it has uh, even completed its course. And it's, it's a kind of um, uncomfortable position to put anybody in, let alone an artist, who's continually trying to define themselves all the time, but especially in consideration of um, the position and the role of art in the Arab world, where it's kind of um, not as visible or peripheral to um, kind of the cultural landscape more generally. And so what that is, is that the position by which it is assimilated into broader culture becomes very much pointed towards this very political agenda. And that's what it's about. It's kind of like the idea that a, um, anybody can take something and f use it to form their own agenda and to drive that forward. Really. Which, which curators, say, particularly might might be doing. I mean, you, you mentioned them. I think you both actually mentioned curators in, in your features. There's certainly a very sort of powerful and they are contextualising the yeah. artist's work. Well, it's not just curators, it's also PR departments. Yeah, and, and art monthly, I mean, firms. writers and, yeah. and, and magazines. Writers, and, uh, but also media. cultural attaches, governments, foreign agencies, um, cultural brokering agencies. I mean, they... they they use these things and say there is now money, there is now funding because we want to reflect on this issue. We want to um, show that we are progressive and we're creating a discursive forum for this debate. But actually, they aren't because they're putting a kind of box of pressure on individuals to respond to current events, which isn't necessarily what an artist is responsible to do. No. So, so in a way, you're, the artists who may not be political thinkers or they don't base their work in politics as its origin for for, their, for what they make well, are yeah. being used as if they did or being asked to do that is that in some respects yeah i mean some work is political and is and is used um to frame a particular agenda um and in a sense it's just art is being used as a tool to propagate something else but also there i use the example of the egyptian artist who was assassinated during the early days of the egyptian revolution and how his work, although may have had political sub-connotations, um, this politics kind of came really quite high up onto the surface because he became a martyred figure, and his image, the appropriation of his image, became ubiquitous um, in the struggle for the revolution because he was, um, he ticked a lot of boxes. He was a young man, he was handsome, he had a f young family, and really, when people remember him as an artist, they're not going to remember the fact that he created digital media, artwork, op worked with open source technology, etc. They're going to remember him as the artist that died in the early days of the revolution. And, and, you, and you're saying his work wasn't actually his, dealing with that subject work, at all? His work wasn't at all, because if you look at the exhibition that was held in the Venice Biennale afterwards, you'll see that his work is actually about a physiological, biological relationship between um, the, the human being and technology. And yet this was positioned alongside revolutionary imagery and a revolutionary framework and the uh, curatorial text by the, cultural, the new, new cultural minister that took over from the old regime um, as a kind of democratic or opening up of um, this kind of old-school political hierarchy to embrace an artist who died in the revolution, etc. So it's, it, that's a kind of, I think, a, a really um, emblematic example, really. Do you oh, I was just wondering Paul. if, I just wondered if um, it could be argued uh, about your, your piece, in a way, or the, your position in the piece that you might be arguing for a slightly mythical 
um, idea of the artist as someone whose work is possibly detached from this commercialization, this institutionalization, this politicization, which are all sort of thrust upon the artist's work. In a way, there's a, there's a sense in, of, of an artist who somehow is pure and outside of all that, which but I As which if I that's like. possible, you mean? Yeah, I like the idea of it, but I also wonder if it was a kind of space but you, for But criticism. you mention in your feature, Paul, mm. don't you, about uh, the idea of the outsider artists, is mm. who also is, because you, I think by your definition, at least it's an aim, again, possibly not a fact, but mm. they're trying to be outside of the art world. Well, in a way, in a, in a way that's untouched somehow by yeah, all that's those it, things. Mm. That's possibly true. Yeah, that, that, uh, that in a way, you try to have to sort of try to dance around that that possible uh, sort of de de deification of the outsider. Uh, in a way, in my in my piece. Um, Oh well, what did you tell? Why didn't you do the thing I was suggesting? You try oh, and tell. Uh, tell, tell <laughs> you tell us now what well, you think Paul's well, piece is about. Well, well um, I, I, I think that Paul and I come from a very similar, almost idealistic standpoint, where it might be, in a sense, a, a product of. I don't know if it's growing up in Britain in a, and being a slightly socialist or whatever. I don't know, but there is this idea that um, there is there is this this artist that can exist without. Um, kind of playing into those hierarchies but actually as we all know we all have to fill in funding applications etc and are all bound by this the, the, the same kind of trajectories in some way um, but what I, what I took from it was that um, I tried to tie it into some of my own thinking and my own work with new media um, and that was very much about how as culture has become to subsume everything within it and as everyone has started to become an author and a curator that actually um, the, the people, the avant-garde who were the outsiders um, have actually found a really cushy position within the system because they have this protection of this art world. When actually the people who don't transcribe to those rules, to those texts, to that writing or to that, to that kind of thinking are actually the true outsiders because they're doing what they want to do. And the example of the Museum of Everything is kind of perfect because in some ways, from a curatorial perspective, you'd argue it's one of the worst curated shows ever because there's so much stuff. It's very hard to figure out a kind of trajectory or a narrative throughout all the works, but it's absolutely inspiring and imaginative and, and unique. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, that's what I, that's what I what I took away. But the only question that I left was left kind of lingering with is: Do we even need to use the term outsider artist? Do we need to have that definition? Mm, yeah, I think that's fair enough. In a way, the last part of the of the essay um, moves into discussion of outsider artists and in a way there is where as I say I felt you have to sort of dance a bit lightly um, because of certain kind of cliches and things around that idea um, but I think the essay as a whole and, and, and probably more the first half is called Out of This World and it actually uh, argues at a kind of philosophical and abstract level in a way for the idea of trying to think of beyond the idea of worlds mm -hmm. in a way it, it, it asks you to it asks us to think about um, a non-extensive non-paradigmatic mm. post-ismism all these kind of terms I was trying to find just to try to find a way of, 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 of thinking an escape of, <laughs> <laughs> well I don't, I don't think it's ever an escape because anything you do that's anything that's a speculative that's a kind of brave speculation you know is not going to set you free but it's going to get you into another lot of trouble to work your way out of I think but mm. uh, but um, that's what I was positing. It's a kind of hypothesis in a way that uh, can you think of the art? Uh, can you think of art without the idea of an art world? Can you think of art 
beyond the idea of context, isms and, and paradigms. And is it time to do that now? Because one of the obvious examples is the World Wide Web mm. uh, does give us that sense of a sort of a space that's not an extensive space. It's sort of endless and sort of 24 hours a day. So there's no real kind of boundaries there. And uh, what I'm saying is that we've got these models of things that aren't like this territorial world. And uh, how can we respond to it? It's almost like try, trying to discover, instead of it being in the internet world, the web, the sort of conceptual internet world, be, try and find other ones that are similar to that, but in the yeah, re, that, in the actual physical world. That's why I use the word abstract in the essay. That, that, that you, you have to, rather than emulate the outsider, you have to abstract something from that kind of condition or that approach to art, um, or abstract something from the way you, you experience the, the web. Um, obviously, you can't make the web on on Earth, <laughs> but you kind of abstract something from the way that you think in the, in the, in the, on the, on the web, and apply it to um, new practices, new new curatorial curatorial strategies, or something like that. I, I found that I found the the kind of reference to the internet um, particularly interesting one because people seem to think now that because we have everything available to us online that now it's much easier to develop context and his understand history and these kind of lineages when actually because the web is so proliferating with content actually things in, on the web exist almost sometimes completely in isolation and I was talking to an artist called Jeremy Bailey who's a media artist who goes by this meme called he calls himself famous new media artist Jeremy Bailey because he likes this idea that he in his in his own world can kind of position himself as whatever because he's on the internet mm. and he was speaking to me about this um, a young media artist called Petra Courtright, who I, I'm not, I have no particular feelings about her as an artist, but um, when she speaks at um, like conferences or whatever, she'll, she she has a persona where she pretends that she knows nothing about the history of, say, net art or media art. So when asked, for example, um, do you know, do you see your work in similar in similar in a similar um, trajectory as Heath Bunting or Jody, who are these net art pioneers? She's like Heath who? Jody, I, I, I don't, I just, I just play with softwares, you know, and like we'll intentionally get words wrong instead of saying software and say softwares, and it's that kind of, um, it's this, it, it brings to light that actually on the internet we exist in complete isolation as well, and we are outsiders on the internet. Mm. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, I had a question which maybe shifts the, uh, the. Um, the, the, the direction of the conversation a little bit but away from this kind of abstract idea but uh, it was to do with the passivity and activity of the artists and the, the issues in your essay in a way because in a way again like the, the artist that you cite um, whose name is uh, I'm sorry uh, is Bastioni um, who, who died in the uh, in the Arab Spring, and whose work was kind of curated um, posthumously. Mm -hmm. um, so I was interested in this idea that uh, the the artists and the art, in a way that you um, you argue for, um, seems to persist in the essay in a slightly passive state. And I was trying to find my own uh, references uh, for Arabic art. You know, maybe sort of classic things with Shirin Neshat and. But someone I wrote about last year was uh, Abbas uh, Kiristami, mm. the filmmaker. And uh, I was really interested in his way of uh, kind of building a, a, an Iranian artist's identity, if you like, using traditional 
things like the writing and the poetry tradition you, you mentioned and stuff. But somehow he's built his way out of there into mm. the heart of Europe and made these quite challenging films in Italy with European. So I was really interested in his very non-passive, very sort of active way of negotiating a way out rather than sitting there. Well, there I, I have to kind of stop there and kind of make a very clear point in that Shirin Nashat and Abbas Kursami are... Iranian Persian linguistically and historically are completely separate from the Arab world, even though these devices and contexts actually lump together Middle Eastern, all Middle Eastern art at conferences and yeah. in terms mm. of market conditions. But actually, ideologically, um, Iran as part of Persia is much, much different culturally than, say, um, the Arab world. And, the, and actually, the events of the Arab Spring are very, also very separate from those of Iran. Sure. And I Iran, historically, and talking about Abbas Kurstami specifically, is very different because um, there isn't a national... Because of, because of, since the Islamic Revolution, there isn't a market for anything locally. For example, like art house cinema, the means for them to exist is to be co-funded and to exist outside of that infrastructure. So almost all of Abbas's films make their box office abroad. They're not successful box office hits in Iran. And I know a lot about this because I've written um, my master's thesis about that very topic. <laughs> so um, so it's quite... Um, it's, it's That, to me, actually... I mean, it's interesting that you said it in a way because, in a sense, there are, there are similarities there, but that's exactly the kind of thing that I'm arguing against is that we, don't, we shouldn't even actually be talking to them in the same vernacular at some points because it's like that exhibition that I always mention that frustrated me in 2009, the Unveiled exhibition, mm -hmm. which, which just said, here's a bunch of Middle Eastern artists from all, parts of the, from all parts of this region, linking them together because is there in some way some kind of geopolitical or social construct that links them together? And the imagery that was used was this was was this kind of Islamic this Islamic woman kneeling. And actually, the the what this highlights really to me is that post 9/11 and the sort of sort of realist political perspective is that Islam has been used actually as a as a linking effect to link all of these parts yeah, of the world. But I think you're, I think you're sort of picking up on slightly the wrong part of my uh, my, my question in a way because uh, 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 what. what, what what I was really the point I was really getting at was the idea that um, He's which goes back well, it goes back to my very first comment yeah yeah but it goes back to my very first comment that you're updating classic post-colonial mm. uh, problems uh, and in a way this is the one of the classic uh, post-colonial issues isn't it uh, mm. uh, the extent to which you kind of reel under a uh, kind of Western perspectival gaze, mm. regal and real, you know, within those uh, those institutions, uh, the gaze of those those institutions, or how or how you find maybe a kind of unique way out, uh, almost kind of reversing the problem, which is what I think that Abbas Kuristami started to do quite successfully in his later films, mm. start to turn his eyes on uh, Europe or something like that. So, I mean, there. I think the question is is if I get right, is that how are there artists who are actively seeking a way out, or is there a way to, s or it, what is what is the way to seek a way out of that position? Is that well? Yeah, I, ju I, was, I just thought that a lot of the, I, I really, I you made your points uh, all through the essay really strongly about these 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 sort of series of kind of blows that are kind of landing on these uh, mm. uh, artists from commercialization, from a lack of intellectualization, mm. from. Um, the, the Western gaze, these cliched uh, uh, exhibition titles that, that mm. you talked about, and these hilarious um, uh, gallery uh, catalogue essays and things mm. like that, and uh, one, and the example of the artist you gave, um, 
whose work was curated uh, posthumously in Venice Biennale. Uh, what I was trying to say was that all those examples still left us with a slightly passive sense of this invisible uh, artists reeling under all these blows mm. and wondering what their strategy was. In a way, you were, you were, you were complaining against all the institutions saying, please don't do this. Mm. But what does the artist, you know, who ultimately must be self-motivated and self-empowering in some mm. way, um, what's their strategy? And then well, I was just—I only use Kiristami because he's a strong reference mm, for me in, yeah. in Middle Eastern art, of it, yeah. at least. Well, I, th I think I don't have a clear answer to that actually, because the position they're in is dichotomous. Because actually, it's like actors who um, artists who want to be active have to subscribe to these outlets unless they have the. And I say that you have a, an American or Western nationality. So I use Mona Hatouma as an example of an artist who I believe is. Uh, historically transcended her ethnic or political heritage. You don't. You don't. Not every introduction to her says she's a Palestinian artist who grew, who was born in a refugee camp in Lebanon. Mm -hmm. You know, but she was able to come and live in, live in Britain. And so when she is existing in an, in an art world that wasn't bound in an educational system, that wasn't bound by those issues. Mm -hmm. But say for example, I'm. Wa'el Shawi, who's a very well-known Egyptian artist and probably um, the, the most eminent one at the moment, and then a corporate funder says to him, "Well, we're going to create, create this exhibition called Post 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 Orientalist Art, but we're going to give you a hundred thousand dollars to create a new commission." You're stuck in a rock and a hard place when, you're, when you can barely afford to eat in Egypt. I mean, economically, these countries are. Um, I mean, some of them are still de and developing in, respe in respect to the Western world. Mm. And then you're being offer offered this great sum of money to create your work. And you think, well, one of the things that artists say to me is like, well, I take it and I say, well, maybe something, there can be something that can offset this, yeah, yeah. Um, this negative stereotype. Maybe something good will come out of it where I, I can ha have this conversation. Yeah. And so it's kind of like the reason... It's isn't it? Exactly. And <laughs> so it's kind of like this... Um, the reason that I didn't, what I actually do suggest um, as a remedy for all of that is for a real education in art history and art theory that actually comes from the region mm -hmm. itself, that's embedded within the region. Because every young artist that I meet says to me, I really, really want to go. I'm applying to Royal College, to the Slade, bloody blah, I'm going to do my MFA there, and then I'm going to be made, and I'm going to be great, and I'm going to be like every other artist in the world. It's like why is it, why don't you want to do art in your own country? Well, because there isn't, yeah. there isn't, there isn't necessarily the place to do that. Yeah. And I, I'll, I'll just sorry to linger, carry on here too much, but I use that example in, in the essay about um, um, Berzet University, which is a fantastic university, and it has um, a university that has its own museum and gal and virtual gallery, which shows contemporary and historic art. And yet, the university has no, doesn't teach art in any capacity. No, his, no history. Yeah. No history of art, and no no courses in fine art. And that seems to me like a completely ridiculous um, uh, conflict. Mm. I mean, why? How can you have the spaces for exhibition and not the spaces to go and think? And that that's what actually more of what. Yeah, I got that. I, I got that from yesterday. That, that was one of your proposals, in a way. Yeah. 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 You, you talk about the Gulf states. As, I mean. The, that they actually have, if I remember rightly, museums, and they show Western art in those museums, mm -hmm. I mean, as opposed to art which might be from where they are. I mean, and, and so that, the, this Western draw, as you just described, people wanting to go to universities in yeah. Britain and. Well, actually, it's, it's, it's being encouraged in a sense by by that. Mm. Do you think? I don't. Th I don't think they actually show that. I think they show a mixture of Western, Western, Western and, and local art. But okay. I think what um, 
I mean, my real frustration really is with is with like I, I made this classic example, which everyone talks about, which is the five hundred twenty-five million dollars that was paid out to the French government for the name of the Louvre, you know, mm -hmm. and the Louvre might not be completed, and I might the Guggenheim because of all sorts of campaigns, etc. And it's like, why would you not put five hundred twenty-five million into investing in an art school, um, into an artist media lab, into studios, into a, a funding body that could give grants to local artists? Why are you use, use paying it to a French government to? get their name and actually uh, these museums aren't for these local people because the population of the of the UAE is just is somewhere between 10 and 15 million mm -hmm. almost 60% of which are migrant workers who would never be able to afford to go to art galleries which have which will I am assuming we'll have the American French fees of twenty dollars, etc., to get in. Mm. You know, so it's actually really just a positioning tool, i.e., an agenda. Actually, I didn't actually pick the title agenda. That was, um, I think, it well, was. That's why I mentioned at the beginning. Of yeah, the I think, I think the original, the original um, title was a subjective atlas of Arab art. And I actually should clarify, because so no one gets mad at me, that actually it, it should be it should be more Arab agendas, I suppose, because Arabic is a, a linguistic. Yeah, a, a linguistic thing as well. I was quite interested. Uh, we must. Uh, I, was, I don't know where to go. We've only got five minutes left. Um, Paul, really quickly, you mentioned some other artists as as kind of examples of outsider, a sort of outsider artists. You mentioned Lucky PDF, mm. Ryan Tricartin as well, didn't you? Yeah. And it was James Brett who was doing the Museum of Everything. Mm. But what, what what about Lucky PDF? Because that was a that's an online. TV project, am I right? Yeah, it's a, it seems to be a kind of a current uh, kind of wave of interest in um, using the sort of retro uh, technology, if you like, of making a TV show. You know, yeah. it's something that Andy Warhol played around with in, you know, in the sixties and stuff. Uh, or, sorry, right through to the. But end, it's you know, online, but isn't uh, it? Presumably, uh, yeah. It's, it's the fact that now you can you know, you can make a t you, you can make a. a Art or into a TV show, a TV station, and have it on. And it's on sort YouTube. of outsider because it's online, and therefore well, escaping well, that kind of world of well, art. Uh, is that what you? As I say, the essay covers lots of different kinds of outside. Yeah. Outside. Well, there's the outsider art. There's the the kind of abstraction of being outside. The sort of philosophical level of being yeah. outside. We yeah. talked about. There's the World Wide Web, and I was just suge suggesting that these uh, these guys making this kind of. Vogue, if you like, for making television shows is another way of trying to make art, make you make your your entire um, kind of world outside of the world in a way. And uh, I, I was trying to uh, um, to just set out a set of, you know a series of examples that, that illuminated the idea really. Yeah. But, um, I mean, uh, and one other question for Fomal, you you I was fascinated by the way you said at one point. I'm probably opening up too big a subject for this late program. But you called you said Palestine can all can be seen now as a metaphor. That was, that was very interesting. Well, I, I used a quote from an artist who said that because um, he was from Gaza City, and, and actually I've worked with a lot of artists from Gaza City, and they always seem to think that all of the, all of the work is used as a, uh, metaphorically to be, to talk about a tortured place. Hence, they must be a tortured artist, mm. which some of them, of course, are. And um, what that says about a kind of human condition is something that always seems to come up in conversations. And I, I find that that I find that the, the metaphor is it can be stifling and it can be upsetting to people who don't want to to be a part Cause of it. Because I link that also possibly wrongly with. Um, some of the outsider artists that you that say in this museum of everything. I mean, I saw um, someone doing a, a, a. They were talking about an artist, and I'm really sorry I can't remember their name, but there was an idea that they actually were. They had been in mental hospital for years and they'd made this work, and, and it was then 
being shown in this exhibition mm. as art, but they've been sort of making it probably an art therapy class or something within a mental institution. And I thought, well, that, that's a sort of tortured person, quote unquote, being being extracted and used. So I thought, well, it's almost as if they are outside of art. When it's when it's like that, and it's quite common that kind of um, you know, uh, well, yeah, Jeffrey Dalger and is it the guy guy who does the paedophile? Jeffrey Dalger. Dalger. I mean, I don't know. They're sort of like they are kind of um, Henry Dalger. Henry, Henry. Yeah. Sorry, thank so you. In a way, that's why, uh, as I say, I thought the in a way the uh, the outsider section of the essay um, we, we should really be balanced against all the other things in the essay, and even when I did focus on. Yeah, I think James Brett did uh, did curate outside right in a kind of refreshing way, in quite a wild and uh, interesting way. Um, that did take it out of some of those cliches, I think, in a way, and did allow it to speak for itself better. But uh, as I say, I think that the outside right uh, was the piece I danced around the most lightly because I was trying to keep uh, keep my eyes on a sort of philosophical point, in a way, yeah. is of a kind of uh, art without a world. And the way one way it related that I wanted to mention, we haven't had time to discuss uh, to Omar's uh, piece, was the was the idea of perspectivalism, trying to get away from perspectivalism per se, which uh, I mentioned uh, a quote from Nietzsche's. De- sort of deconstruction of perspectivalism in there that I thought would have been a nice thing mm. to discuss. Well, but I'm really sorry. We, our <laughs> our half-hour programme has already whistled by and, yeah. and we, we can't do it. But obviously, the thing to do, guys who are listening, is to read their features in Art Monthly's issue, February 2012. And um, thank you both very much for filling the time very well, um, Omar and Paul. And uh, hope you'll all listen again to next month's programme.